Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. Uh, We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back. Crossover NBA Podcast. Glad you could join me this week. Got a good show lined up for you here. Billy King, the former Sixers and Nets GM, he is back and joins me to talk about some key offseason issues. The LA Clippers they are out of the playoffs. Where do the Clippers go from here? How do they improve this roster? And what do they do about what is clearly questionable chemistry with that team? Plus, the Milwaukee Bucks, they need to get better. The Houston Rockets, what do they do this offseason? And what is going on in Sacramento right now in their GM search? A lot of strangeness happening with the Kings. I talked to Billy King about that and much more. A little bit later on, somebody new to the podcast, Bob Arum is the Hall of Fame boxing promoter. I've covered Bob uh, for many years in my other capacity as a boxing writer. Recently, The Athletic did a story on the history of the Minnesota Timberwolves with Glenn Taylor. I was shocked 
to find Bob Arum in the middle of that as someone that was trying to buy the team in the middle of the 1990s and move them to New Orleans. I called up Bob, and Bob explained the whole story to me. It's kind of wild. It's pretty funny. Uh, so stick around for that explanation from the Hall of Famer, Bob Arum, about his near-miss buy of the Minnesota Timberwolves. As always, best way to support this podcast Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Billy King. All right, Billy King is here, former Nets and Sixers general manager, NBA analyst over at NBA TV, among other places. And Billy, it is... The fall is in the air. It's uh, cool outside, and we have competitive NBA basketball games. This really is a bizarro world these days, what we're dealing with. It, it is bizarro world. It, it's almost as if, um, you know, it should be preseason games starting because it's, you know, almost it's October. Uh, almost October, but it's it's weird. You have hockey, basketball, baseball, football. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I... I was once an advocate for the NBA changing its schedule around and going to the summer, but I, I just get the feeling that the NBA, after this experience, they're not keen on doing that. I think one way or the other, I don't know about you, but I think one way or the other, we're getting back on track for a regular 2021-2022 season when this is all said and done. I think the NBA wants to get back on a regular schedule. Yeah, I mean, because everybody else is going to be on that schedule. You'd have college basketball ending uh, if, if you were – and everybody says it start in December. But, but you'd have college basketball ending in April. And so those kids would be out, you know, that whole time. It may affect when guys leave. And I think you you, you have um, – when you're playing a regular NBA season, you have the winner. There's, you know, just basketball and hockey and college basketball. So you can control the, the environment better. And then the TV ratings and fans are looking for something to do in December and January, especially in markets that they do not have a football team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one way or the other, we're getting back on the regular schedule. But that's a topic for another day, maybe when the actual yeah. offseason off begins. Uh, the offseason has begun, Billy, for the L.A. Clippers. Uh, the Clippers, a title co-favorite, we'll say, at least uh, knocked out in the second round, dropping a series lead of three games to one to the Denver Nuggets, the second straight series where the Nuggets have climbed back uh, from three games to one to win a series. Not a great finish for Kawhi Leonard, who was six for 22 from the floor in this game. Not a great game overall from Paul George, who was four for 16, including two of 11 from three-point range. Doc Rivers, once again, uh, can't get the Clippers out of the second round. I guess let's start there with the Clippers, Billy. I mean, how... I mean, how bad was this? Like, you know, from the, the average eye, it this looks catastrophic. You've got two A-list stars in Kawhi and Paul. You've got a, a roster that's built to win a championship. Everybody's talking about the hallway series in Central Florida, and they bow out after being up three games to one. I mean, in your eyes, how bad was this? Well, it, it was bad in a sense being up 3-1, but to also be up in the games that they were, with 19-1 and 16 and another. And to lose those games, so that made it even worse. And then to lose game seven and being down 20 with two minutes to go, it's just a way. If they'd have lost all three of these games by buzzer beaters or went down to the wire, you'd say, man, Denver, you know, they just battled and it was, you know, Clippers fault. But it was, it was, 
it was how they lost, not just being up 3-1, but how they lost the games. And you can say they've only been together for a year. Um, all You can make all the excuses, but when you have Paul George and you have Kawhi Leonard, and Kawhi wants to be put in that same breath as LeBron and some of the greats, you can't lose a series after being up 3-1. You just don't. Because I think Michael Jordan would have never lost being up 3-1. I don't think LeBron would have. It's just – and you're talking one game. So, to me, it's it goes a lot about – you know, they've got to go back and look at how did they prepare during the season. And you can say, well, there was the pandemic where everybody went through that. So, you can't use that as an excuse. It's how did you prepare? How did you go into the season? Um, and they've got to reevaluate how they did things because it, – it, they just didn't have the fight that they didn't look like they wanted to keep playing. No, it, it didn't. I don't know how to explain that. Like it, this wasn't just a case of they didn't look like they wanted to keep playing in this series. There were times during the first round that it looked like they didn't want to keep playing. You know, there was that game that Luca went for, you know, what was it? 42 and made that buzzer beater. I mean, Chris has Porzingis was out, but the, 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 the Mavericks just kept rolling along. I mean, they just didn't play with the kind of intensity you need to play with to win a championship. And I don't know how you kind of divide up the blame pie on this. I mean, you have to start with the stars. You know, Kawhi is the face of the franchise, and for him to go out with a whimper like that, not good. Paul George, I mean, Paul George is starting to get that that reputation you don't want to have, Billy. Like, you're starting to get that reputation that you're just not built for the playoffs. And he kind of self-styled himself playoff P when he was in Oklahoma City in that first year. He hasn't delivered in the postseason, hasn't been out of the second round with two teams, Oklahoma City and uh, now with the Clippers, that are have the talent to get out of the second round. And then you have to kind of look at at Doc Rivers. And, I mean, Doc's, his coaching bona fides are there. I mean, he led a team to a championship in Boston. He's been uh, widely regarded as an excellent coach. But, you know, once again, you know, he, he has a team up three games to one. And they lose. So I don't know how you kind of divide all this blame up. Is there more blame on one person? Is it just a function of this team? Just yeah, there, there was obviously chemistry issues. I mean, Lou Williams talked about it at the end of the series. I mean, uh, where do you kind of position the blame for all this? Well, I, I, I will go right to what Lou said. Um, it, to me, it just they d- didn't seem like a team. Um, and it, it seemed like you know, Lou was that six man come in and just score for us. Uh, you know, Kawhi, Paul, you do your thing. And guys just, just the fact when Lou went home and, you know, went to the club and then you had to sit out, there was just seemed like there was a lot of guys on their own agenda rather than on the team agenda. Um, and so when you say that, then to me, it's unfortunate, but the ultimate, you got to look at the, the leader, the, you know, Doc, and I love Doc. I mean, like he, you know, he's won a championship, but, you know, you've got to look and say, okay, what is the culture there that where you look at this team and say it's an individualistic team? Um, when you watch Miami, you don't see that. When you watch Denver, I mean, if anybody wanted to go home, Denver had two series where they could have said, hey, let's get out of this bubble, go home against Utah and against the Clippers, and they fought back. Um, and it tells you a lot about their character. So, to me, I think you, you have to start with, with the head coach because when you are the head coach, you're responsible. I, I haven't been a GM. Yeah, I got fired when things didn't go well. So when you're the GM or the head coach, you know, the blame starts there and then goes down. And you could certainly say that the issues with the bubble that the Clippers had were a factor. I mean, they did have the Lou Williams fiasco. Montrez Harold didn't 
you know, join the team to be available to play until game one of uh, was it of the playoffs. And yeah. the handful of other Zubach missed a bunch of time while he was recovering from coronavirus. All that being said, so didn't Denver. I mean, Denver yeah. went through the same stuff. I mean, the, the Nuggets, I mean, when I was in the bubble, I remember we'd stop and talk to Mike Malone and, and Mike couldn't tell you any given day who was going to be available in those early games because so many guys were out, so many guys were injured, so many guys were trying to work their way back into shape. I mean, early on, I mean, they were running bull bull out there for significant minutes. Like they just didn't, yeah. they didn't have any kind of rotation. So the Nuggets and the Clippers shared a lot of the same problems in terms of their bubble experiences. But the Clippers, I mean, I'm rather the Nuggets, it seemed like it steeled their resolve. It made them want it more, where the Clippers, for whatever reason, it made them want it less. And I tell you, it Paul George's comments afterwards were enlightening, to say the least. I mean, for Paul George to come out and say, we didn't really expect to win a championship this season. It wasn't championship or yeah. bust. I mean, this, Billy, this isn't the 2010 Oklahoma City Thunder. This isn't like this group yeah. of 20-year-olds who are like, we'll get him next year and year after that. Paul George is in the prime of his career. Kawhi Leonard is in the prime of his career. And they may have more years to win a championship, but when you have a, a star like Leonard who's had a balky knee, Every year counts. When you've got key free agents like Montrez Harrell and others that are going to be out there, and if they come back, they'll explode your payroll. Every year counts. I thought I don't know what you thought of that comment, but I was I, I just scratched my head when he said it. Well, I, I scratched my head, and I think he just said like, "Hey, you know, it is what it almost like it is what it is." And then to say we weren't built to win, yes, you were. You were built to win a championship. Otherwise, you don't you know sign Kawhi. You don't trade for Paul George. You don't give up what you did to do all this. Um, you know, the Lakers were built to win, and they expect to get to the finals. Um, like Boston, if they didn't get to the finals, they can say, hey, we're, you know, that's our goal. If Denver didn't get there, hey, we're building, we're, we're trying to strive to there. But the Lakers, the Clippers, they were built to win a championship. Miami's still playing with young guys and Jimmy Butler. You know, but two teams, the Lakers and the Clippers, their ultimate goal was to play each other in the conference finals. Um, and that's all they, that was the talk. Um, and so to me to say that is, is it's kind of shocking and surprising, but it, when he says it and then you saw how they lost, that is the explanation right there. So if you're Lawrence Frank and you're at that front office, what do you do here? Do you just run this group back? Is there a substantive change you think that can be made? Because let's not forget, they don't have a lot of assets. Uh, they're going to have to goose their payroll uh, probably well above the luxury tax to bring this band back together. Uh, what is What are Lawrence Frank's options here? Well, one, and I would caution him not to panic um, because you, you know, with everything we said, I'd almost say let's run it back because you've got a better chance running it back than to go and break it up and bring a lot of new pieces in because then you got to get used to playing together again. I'd give it another shot, another year, and see if you can do that um, and because you do have great player in Kawhi and Paul George is a good compliment. Um, so I would be cautious to say let's just break it up and start over and or you know keep Kawhi and Paul and just rebuild around that because – you know, Denver's not going to do that, and they're going to be just as good. Utah is going to bring have a lot of you back. They're going to be good. And so you want to try to start out of the gates as best you can. I think you got to sit down with Lawrence and Doc 
they've got to sit down with this with the coaches and staff and say, all right, what can we do better to provide this group a better environment to win? And 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 that's where you focus more on. Maybe you have one or two guys minimum uh, role players to bring to the, the table, but I wouldn't do a total complete overall. Yeah, I think you. I think you're right. I think you do what you have to do to bring Harold back. I think you do what you have to do to bring Marcus Morris back. I mean, he's going to be a valuable commodity. I mean, I was having this conversation in an earlier podcast. Like, there's a lot of teams out there, namely the Dallas Mavericks, that could use an enforcer like Marcus Morris. Like, Marcus Morris, I think, is going to have a lot of value to, you know, the half dozen teams that'll have the cap space to look at $10 million, $15 million per year on a short term deal. But I think if you're the Clippers, uh, you got to go into that luxury tax and spend that money because your options of improving just aren't aren't very good. Um, all right, let's talk about a team that bowed out this past week, and that's Milwaukee. Uh, another disappointing ending, and some may pin it on the injury to Giannis, but that wasn't why they lost that series. They were going to lose that series yeah. whether Giannis was healthy or not. The Heat were just better. They were uh, a better prepared team. They executed better. And they were just built to play and succeed in the postseason uh, better. And that leads me to the question, Billy. I mean, the Bucs have to become a better playoff team. I mean, we know they're an excellent regular season team. They've been that way for the last couple of years. Mike Budenholzer has been an excellent regular season coach for most of his career. Uh, but, you know, for the second time uh, in as many years, they've come up short of their goals. I mean, how, do, how does Milwaukee improve with, on their roster this season? Well, one, they've got, like you said, regular season, it's a really easy to score points and brace the floor and shoot threes because you play games so often so people don't have time to dedicate. You know, they'll do a scouting report and say, okay, where they run this, you know, let's clamp down on the honors. Don't let them get layups, make them shoot jumpers. But guys don't retain it. In the playoffs, you spend two or three days preparing guys mentally and you talk about it over and over. You know their calls. And each game, it gets tougher and tougher as a score because everybody knows exactly what you're doing. And so they've got to figure out guys that can play defense. And they don't have a lot of guys that can break you down off the dribble. If you watch Boston, you know, they can put the ball in Kemba or Tatum's hands or Jalen Brown's hands, and they'll break you down off the dribble. And that's playoff basketball because coaches can diagram plays. A lot of times just players win games in playoffs. You know, it's not what the coaches diagram because you've got to be able to react to adverse situations, to defenses that are taking things away. And I look at the Milwaukee Bucks, they don't have a lot of those guys. They have guys that Giannis creates shots because he's penetrating, but teams are able to take that away and still get to their shooters and make it really tough on them and then make them have to guard on the other end. Losing Brogdon, to me, hurt them the most because he was a guy that could defend and he could create a little bit of dribble, but he gave them a little bit of toughness that they didn't have. And so to me, they probably are a team that, that can't run it back because running it back means you're going to have a great regular season, but are you going to be able to do it in the playoffs? Um, I like, like if you look at Toronto, losing Kawhi, Toronto played every game during the regular season like a playoff game. They were tough. Kyle Lowry is the leader, and he's going to – Kyle Lowry will bite your leg and cut it off to win a game and get a loose ball. The Bucks don't have that. And so they have to figure out how do they add some of those pieces and still allow – but the coach the way he wants to coach because in the playoffs, he needs guys that can make plays and it's just not about coaching guys that win games. Jimmy Butler, Eric Swash was not diagramming. He's giving Jimmy the ball and Jimmy just figuring out a way to win games for them. 
No, and yeah, Jimmy Butler's a great example because, I mean, Jimmy Butler, they said this on the broadcast after or during game one, like 68% of Jimmy Butler's shots come from that exact area, right side of the floor, driving to his right. The shot he made at the end of the game to, you know, put the uh, uh, put the heat up one when he just powered through Jason Taylor. That's just Jimmy yeah. Butler willing himself, you know, into a, into a good big shot. Uh, I, I'm with you. you. You can't turn around and say, we'll be fine with this group next season. And I don't think that the Bucs have that mindset. I think the Bucs are going to go into this offseason looking to be aggressive. And, you know, I look at two options. And you mentioned one in Kyle Lowry. I don't know what the appetite Toronto has for dealing Lowry, especially to some team in their conference. But it certainly felt to me, Billy, like the end of an era in Toronto when they lost to Boston. You've got guys under contract. Siakam is back. You know, they'll pay to bring Van Vliet back. But Marcus Gasol is probably gone. Serge Ibaka could be gone. Lowry has one year left in his deal. And when that when that deal was signed, a lot of people said it was signed for this reason, so that they could maybe trade Kyle in the offseason. He's got a big number, like $30 million for next year, but uh, it, he st- it still is something a team would take on given the shortness of that deal. So I would expect the Bucks to look in Toronto's direction to maybe try to acquire a guy like Lowry, but I would expect him to look more at, at Oklahoma City because the Thunder are definitely embarking on a new path. I mean, Billy Donovan's gone. Uh, they've got some good pieces there. They've got, you know, Dennis Schroeder is a good young player. Uh, Lou, Lou, uh, Lou Dort is a good player. Uh, Shea Gildas-Alexander is a good player, but Chris Paul is, just doesn't fit in their timeline. They're going to build around all those draft picks they got for Westbrook and for Paul George and go in that direction. And there's only... I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but there's only a finite number of teams that are even going to be interested in Chris Paul. He's owed $86 million over the next yeah. two years. He's 35 years old. I mean, this probably, you can definitely count on one hand and maybe just a couple of fingers how many teams would take on Chris Paul. And Milwaukee seems like the ideal team to do it. I mean, they can make the math work with some combination of Bledsoe, Ilyasova. Uh, maybe you have to throw George Hill into that mix. You got to give him a sweetener of some kind with uh, a first round pick or, or a Dante DiVincenzo. But you got to do it, don't you? you you've got to do something big if you're Milwaukee. And big to me stands as either Chris Paul or Kyle Lauer. Those are the two guys I would make a run at. Yeah, and but I think Toronto is going to do everything they can to create as much cash space so they are in the sweepstakes for uh, Giannis if he becomes available. Because right. I think you know, that's a piece that they want. So I don't see them doing something with Lowry. Notice they're getting expiring contracts. And I don't think Milwaukee wants to put them in a position because they know they are a suitor. The uh, Oklahoma City, Chris Paul, to me, is probably the one that makes the most sense. They know he's going to be moved. If you want to get a guy that definitely can play in the playoffs, who's a competitor, who took that Oklahoma City team and just put them on his back and had those guys win, um, that, that to me is, is the one piece. And I, and I know Sam, he's going to want probably DiVincenzo more than the pick. He's got plenty of picks. Mm-hmm. So I think he's going to try to get some young players and – and a couple contracts that are expiring that he can maybe move later. But I think he'll, he would want DiVincenzo. And if you're Milwaukee, you got to say they've got to do everything they can to show Giannis they want to win and compete uh, for a championship next year. Because if they don't, he's going to look and say, okay, can I win here in Milwaukee or is it time for me to go someplace else? So they've got to do – like it's a Chris Paul, uh, bring him into the mix that may keep, you know, keep him happy. And and if you got to give up a DiVincenzo and, like you said, other combinations – to make it work, yes, but they've got to 
they've got to bring another player there. Because what you also don't want is Giannis always have to be the one creating for other guys. And that's what he's always doing. And and it takes its toll. If Chris is creating for other guys and running pick and roll and Giannis is free to go to the offensive glass or slash and cut, I think he's better suited for that or get out and run and Chris can find him on the break. Uh, Chris, would, Chris would help him and take a lot of pressure off of him uh, in Milwaukee. But I think they've got, they've got to more or less make a statement to Giannis more so than worry about the future beyond that because if they don't prove to Giannis they're ready to win, they're in a position where they can lose. And um, I haven't been in that situation when you got a free agent to be player. You do things that you normally won't do because you're trying to show them that you can win. Yeah, two things about Chris Paul. One, I, I don't look at Chris Paul as being this huge risk because, you know, when Oklahoma City acquired him, there was a risk to it. He was he had three years left in his contract and he was going to a team that nobody really knew if he wanted to be there. It turns out Chris was everything you could have wanted him to be in Oklahoma City and then some and certainly earned his contract while he was there. Now you have two years left on his contract. And I mean, really at worst, given how he played this year, you're looking at a player that might be an albatross around you. If Giannis leaves in two years or at a year plus, and you have to deal with that contract on its own, but then he's gone off your books. You have a whole lot of cap space as a result of it. So I don't think Chris Paul is a big risk for Milwaukee. What I, I do wonder is how does Chris Paul fit in with that Mike Budenholzer offense? I mean, Mike Budenholzer, Loves spacing, loves ball movement. That's not Chris Paul's game. He is more of a, a ball-dominant guard who has had a ton of success there. I mean, do you see Budenholzer and Chris being able to coexist, or would there have to be a dramatic, significant change to the way the Bucks, to the Bucks style of play for that to work? Oh, it, it will definitely be a, a change of, of how they play because Chris is going to play the way Chris plays because he's had success in doing that. Um, so that's where you, you do it. And Bud's got to understand, like, if, if you are a great coach, you adjust to your personnel. You don't always make the personnel adjust to you. Um, I look at Pat Rowley in L.A., coach Showtime, get out and run. Then he goes to New York, and it was grinded out, you know, and dogfight basketball. When he got to Miami, it was the same thing. And then they started shooting more threes, and he, he changed how he coached to fit his personnel. Um, and so that's why I think, if, you know, Bud would have to adjust. Or, you know, he won't be back as the coach. Um, because if they're making this change, they're telling Giannis, we're going to bring him in and we're going to play, you know, to your strengths, to Chris's strengths. And if Bud doesn't want to do it, players run, this, run the league in the NBA. The salaries they make and the players win the game. Basically, players win games. Coaches put them in position, but the players ultimately execute the plan to win the games. And so he would have to adjust this the way he wants to coach or it's not going to work. Um, and, and that... But I think he would um, put the ball in his hands. I mean, he ran a lot more pick and rolls and stuff like that. But I think he would he would adjust because I think he knows how great Chris Paul is. Yeah, you you have to you know adapt or die in that situation, or or you got to move on because that, that Chris Paul is the way to get better, and you got to kind of like you said build your team and your offense uh, around his strengths and let him kind of develop some chemistry with Giannis on the fly. Uh, all right, let's talk about Houston for a minute here. Uh, the Rockets are another team in a weird place, and they're just in a very strange place right now. Uh, Mike D'Antoni is gone. Uh, his contract expires. Mike decides to go in a different direction. And now the Rockets are kind of out there with no coach and a roster that I don't know how you help. You have that roster 
take the next step or make the jump to another level. I mean, I thought they'd be they were onto something when they won game one of that series. Then they look basically lifeless over the next four. And now you have two guys in their early 30s now, other side of 30, in James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Westbrook does not have a game that looks like it's going to age all that well. Harden's does, but I mean, Harden's come up short in the playoffs a lot in his career. Uh, you put yourself in Daryl Morey's shoes right now. You know, how, what are the first steps for making the Rockets better? How do the Rockets uh, put themselves in position to be successful? I, I think it's it's going to be real difficult because the roster, you know, James Harden plays a certain way. And I don't think a coach is going to come in and convince him to play a different way. And Russell Westbrook plays a certain way. And I thought they were an odd match from the beginning because they both need the ball to be successful. And Westbrook's not a spot-up guy. He's the guy that's going to catch it and drive. And the way Mike D'Antoni liked the coach is, you know, Harden creates and the rest of the guys spot up when you catch and shoot threes. So Daryl's got to find a coach that's willing to allow those guys to be who they are. And a lot of guys that are out of jobs will say, yeah, I'll do it and, and take it. And yeah, here's what you got to pay me. But I just don't know how the roster competes with the rest of these rosters because yeah, shooting 53s. And the one thing I do like is I thought in the first series, they guarded people to win that series. They, they decided we're going to play a little defense down the stretch and they won that series. So I would focus in on somebody's got to come in and try to give us some kind of defensive structure and be willing to allow the offense to go to its way. And if I'm the coach, I come in and say, look, guys, I'm going to allow you to play your way offensively, but I need a commitment defensively from you that we're going to play defense and try to guard because we can't outscore people in this league and be and win a championship. We can score, but we've got to guard people. And so that to me is you've got to look at someone who's going to come in and give a defensive structure to them and then allow them the freedom offensively um, and say, look, I'll allow you to do as much craziness on offense, but when we go to the defense end, I need you to guys to bear down and, and guard people. And then I would try to get some, you know, somebody in the middle to give me a defensive presence, a shot blocker to go, you know, he may not be a scorer, but I'd have somebody that can shot block, roll the rim and just, you know, and then that, that would help their defense. So would you move away from this, commitment to small ball that they have i mean they outside of tyson chandler there's nobody there over six foot nine pj tucker is six five he's anything do you think the move away from from that style of play and you know try to bring in a center i mean i don't know who is even available on the center market yeah uh whether it's ibaka to bring in or uh i mentioned marcus all i guess you could try to take a flyer on him i mean I, there's there's a few guys, I guess, out there. I mean, do you do you abandon the small ball approach to bring in that pivot? I think you do because if you look at it, when they had Capella playing with them, he was great for them because he protected the rim. He rolled to the basket for them. So they need a guy like that. I don't know if Gasol fits because he's not going to protect the rim defensively. Uh, he can shoot the three. But I, I'm looking for more of an athletic, chap-locking defender. And you go four round one, you run and pick really hard, and he's just diving to the bucket. So you either got the threat of the lob to him or the shooters. And then they've got to get someone that can just protect the rim for them um, defensively. And then it makes it easier for those guys to play defense. Um, and who stays with that. Yeah, I would abandon the small, small ball because yeah, you only can go for so far playing that way. Um, you can do it at the end of a game, uh, but you can't do it, I think, for 40, you know, 48 minutes in the, in the NBA game over an 82-game season. I mean, I'm with you that a 
defensive-minded center who can roll to the rim would be great. I just I don't see that guy out there. I mean, I think if that guy was out yeah, there, no. every team would be after him. I mean, theoretically, the Nerlens Noel types, but you know, he hasn't done anything in this league yet. Uh, yeah. You know, I, Tristan Thompson maybe fits that description, but can you afford him? And you know, where do you yeah. slide him in? I mean, I, I don't. It's just I, I don't know if those guys, if the Rockets are going to have the flexibility to go get somebody like that. And especially, it, look, it, especially it, Billy, if, if they, if, if Tillman Fertitta, if, if the Rockets are what the Rockets have been, they're not going to spend to the luxury tax. I mean, they have been uh, pretty aggressive at making sure they avoided that. Daryl Morey's been great at avoiding that over the years. Yeah. So if they're still determined to stay away from that line, it's going to be difficult to find that guy. Yeah, I mean, but you, but I look at Tice from Boston. You know, there may be a guy out there that we don't know. It was a, a no name that you get. He's coming in as a role player, and he's doing a simple job: play defense, rebound, and kick it back out, and try to block shots. And you know, and not going to get all the glory for it, but you can win with that. And so, to me, that's what I'm looking just for a guy that you know, maybe it's late in the NBA draft that you can find or a second round pick. And try to get as many of them and audition and find one. It doesn't have to be a proven guy. It just got to be a guy that understands his role uh, and allow the other guys to be who they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure they'll look for him. I just wonder if they're able to yeah. to find that guy that's out there. I mean, what do you do with the coach too? I mean, we've heard some of the familiar names out there. Jeff Van Gundy's name has been tossed out. Uh, you've heard Sam Cassell, Ty Lu. I've, I brought up, you know, Steven Silas cause Steven, made a good impression on Daryl back in 2016. And that's somebody they could revisit. He's done a really good job with the Mavericks as an assistant over the years. So he's continuing to earn an opportunity, but you, you almost have to have a, a strong personality on that bench. Don't you? I mean, somebody that is not going to get run over by Harden Westbrook. I mean, these two guys are two alphas. I, I don't know that you can go in there as good as a coach. I think Steven Silas is, you know, can you even put someone Silas or like Silas in that spot, or do you have to get a proven commodity, even if they, you know, may not, you know, be as appealing to you? Well, I mean, I think they're good. You may have to look at maybe it's a guy on the staff. Justin Bazdelic is on the staff, and he's a defensive coach. They know him. Uh, maybe he just slides in that role. Uh, been around the league for a long time, and maybe he's the guy. And he just look. They they know him. He knows them. Um, so I think he would command a respect and say, we're going to play defense. Maybe it is Steven Salas because they do know him as well. Or if you're going to look out of the box and say, maybe it's Billy Donovan. Does he want, you know, he's coach Westbrook. He, you know, he's been down that path. He's a proven, you know, NBA coach with great success in Oklahoma City win lost, uh, percentage. Maybe it's him. Um, but it's, it's gotta be someone that that's going to come in and, and say, okay, Here's the plan. I'm going to let you get, like I said before, do offensively, but we got to play defense. So maybe it is Bazdelic on the staff. He's right there. Yeah, Billy Donovan's an interesting name because of that relationship that you mentioned with Westbrook. He had a strong relationship with Westbrook for most of the time in Oklahoma City. Yeah. So I could I could certainly see that happening. Uh, on the other side, Mike D'Antoni you know, has made it clear he wants to keep coaching. Uh, and there will be op options out there for him. I mean, where do you think is the best fit? We've heard Indiana you know, mentioned as a team that that would want to go and get him. That's an, I guess, kind of an interesting roster, Billy, for Mike's style of play. I mean, Mike's always been a, a sort of an offensive genius. He finds ways to, to make it work with uh, whatever his personnel looks like. But you've got kind of the traditional E front court with Sabonis and Miles Turner. 
A lot of questions about whether those two guys can play together long-term. Uh, you know, Victor Oladipo is obviously there. TJ Warren is a good player, though. He's just developing a three-point shot. Is he? Do you look at Mike D'Antoni fit-wise making sense for Indiana? I think it makes more sense for Indiana than Philadelphia. I know everybody keeps saying he's a candidate in Philadelphia. Uh, I think one of the reporters here in Philadelphia said, you know, it's his job to lose. I'm thinking, like, this roster is definitely in Philadelphia is not built uh, for a Mike D'Antoni. Um, you know, Ben Simmons doesn't shoot the three, and a lot of guys are reluctant three-point shooters. And so I don't see it fitting in. I see Indiana more of a fit because they do have guards that can put on the floor and create. He probably would figure out, you know, one of the bigs is going to probably come off the bench or they're going to – because Turner can step out and shoot the three. So, to me, that is a more of an appealing roster because he can cultivate some of those guys to play his style much more so than Philadelphia. Yeah, a lot less pressure, too, in Indiana. I mean, all, all, yeah. Indiana, all Indiana wants at this point is not to get beat up in the first round. So, uh, yeah. that, could, uh, that could potentially work out. I mean, he'd get a lot of those guys uh, offensively, that's for sure. All right, last thing I want to ask you about is – the GM search in Sacramento, it's it's very it's very Sacramento-y, for lack of a better uh, uh, term. You know, the Kings, I thought for a second that Joe Dumars was going to be the man running the search. You know, according to The Athletic, it's really just Vivek Ranadive, the owner, and this guy that's the head of the search firm there. We have had a number of executives drop out of, uh, of the running for that job. Most recently, Calvin Booth, who I don't really blame him. I mean, he, being the number two guy which he was just appointed to in Denver is probably a lot better right now than taking over a Sacramento team that has a lot of question marks. Uh, What do you make of what you've seen the Kings try to do here? I mean, have you looked at this process as being anything abnormal? Do you look at that job as being a, a good job? I mean, how do you see that situation? Well, I think when you have a lot of guys that interview them, pull their names out right away, you have to wonder why. Um, and I think the way they've done it in the sense of since Vivek is on the team, has, I think it has some people a little bit hesitant. So, I mean, I, I think Adam Simon pulled his name out um, and, you know, Booth pulled his name out. And if they're talking to their advisors or their current boss or, you know, they probably say, well, you know, we've got a good situation. Why go there? Um, I do think it, it could be a good job, but you, you've got to sit down and understand from the owner, what is his mission? What is his goal? What is he trying to accomplish? And it can't be what we want to win a championship. Well, that's, that's every, all 30 teams, that's their goal. But what are you, how do you want to go about doing it? You know, are we going to build through the draft? Are you going to be patient? What's your timetable? Are you trying to win a championship in five years, three years, four years? Um, and, and then if you hear those answers, and, and that to me – would make me a little leery if the answers didn't come back the way I want to hear them. I think they've got to just, they've got some young talent. Uh, as a GM candidate, I would, I'd want to talk to Luke and say, okay, how are we going to play? We're not Golden State. We can't be Golden State. Um, so use your basketball experience of playing for Ludos and playing for Phil Jackson, you know, and, and, and come up with a system that fits our personnel. Like we talked about before. Um, and, and, but the owner's got to, and I would tell the owner, like, and then I need you just to give us the ability, if I'm the GM and the coach, to do it. And if and give us a give us a time frame of where you want us, and then judge us on that. But he can't be, you know, in, involved day to day of telling you know this guy's got to play or that guy's got to play. Um, and it can't be all data driven. Um, I think analytics is a big part of it. 
But I think also you've got to be the eye test has got to take a lot of you know front seat as well as psychological testing and like that. But it just from the outside looking in, it's almost like they knew what they want uh, with the search. They had to interview a certain amount of people to appease some people, and now they're going to name a guy. <laughs> yeah, it, that job. Like you mentioned the young talent, and they've got a blue chip guy in De'Aaron Fox. And maybe Marvin Bagley, after a lot of problems in his first couple of years, develops into a front-end starter at the power forward or center position. But after that, they're not super young. You know what I mean? Like they're youngish. Like Harrison Barnes is 28. Uh, Buddy Heald we think is 27. You know, there's yeah. there's some guys there. Rishon Holmes is 26. Like so they're young, but it's not like they're all like 21, 22, 23 young. Yeah. Like they're they're a different kind of young. So that that would give me some pause there. Like you know you can build around Fox. He's a a budding star, but the rest of them I don't know. And you're in a conference where it's really hard to win. I mean, it's going to be hard to win only, for the next generation. You're right. There's there's one proven commodity in Fox. And the rest, uh, they're question marks. And so to me, I would say, you know, some of those pieces that you just mentioned have value because I think they're good pieces on good teams. Is you figure out what can you move them for and get picks and assets. And, and, and then you got to make sure, make sure you draft well. And then you got to develop because Harrison Barnes, a nice player, but he can't be one of your main guys. Um, uh, I think he's a good piece, but they've got to find another piece to go with Aaron Fox. And I think, with his speed and quickness, you've got to get up and down the floor and run. Um, so I would try to find as many athletes as I can and build around Fox and say, we're going to be a great defensive team, and then we're going to get out on the floor, and we're going to run and run and run. And I don't know if the pieces, as you mentioned, that are in their 20s, do they fit? And if not, let's let's go trade them and get other pieces because Sacramento is not going to take that jump uh, to the Laker level, the Denver level in year two one or two it's going to take them three years maybe four years and so you've got to move some of those pieces add some pieces and develop your talent so that when those teams start aging you're ready to take over and that's a team that was i mean they were fighting for a playoff spot before the the hiatus hit you look at next year with some of the changes that'll be out there the warriors bouncing back the improvement of the pelicans the the kings could be back in that 14th position again you know, they could be yeah, right back yeah. at the bottom of the conference. So that's a that's a tough spot to be in. Uh, real quick, last thing. I want to circle back with the Rockets because we were talking about potential trades and getting teams better. Is there a if, and we don't know if this is going to happen, but if Daryl Morey decides to shop James Harden, is there a market for him? I don't, there's no market for Russell oh. Westbrook. I don't, I don't believe there's a market for Westbrook at all uh, unless you have some team that's totally crazy and that really is often only the Knicks. But if you're... If, if you're looking at James Harden, like how appealing a player is he to, to, and how, how robust a market would there be? Oh, I think there'd be, be a market, but you've got to be in a situation with a team that he's coming in and he's going to be your guy. He's going to be the face of the franchise. He's not a guy that you're going to say, let's go in and, and then you're going to be the second fiddle to somebody else. He's got to come in and be the, the anchor that you're building around. I do think there are franchises out there that would, that would want him, but you've got to be build a team around him the way he plays. And I don't think it has to be all shooters in space of four, but you got to have guys understanding that your touches are going to be limited. And when you get them, you got to make shots. Um, but I do think there's a market for him. But the problem is if you move Harden, 
then you're still stuck stuck with Westbrook. Yeah. So you're moving the better player and keeping the then all of a sudden now Westbrook thinks okay now I'm the guy in Houston, and so now you're you've got him under contract for a long time. Um, so to me, if you know here's a here's a two team trade. I mean Houston, you know call up Washington and say okay, you know what do you what would you throw on the table if I threw Westbrook at you along with Harden? You know I don't you know. They'll probably say John Wall and Bill and, you know, and okay, then you got to give me numerous picks. Or what would you, you know, can Houston do something with Westbrook and get Bill and throw enough at them in Washington where you get Bill off the table? Because um, I think Bill lines up better with Harden because he's a knockdown. He can hit a shot. Yeah. I'm, but I, I do I do think there is a market for Harden. I do. I agree. Uh, I, you could, I mean, help send him to New York. I mean, Thibodeau will play him 40 plus well, minutes and let him grind it out, yeah. out there. I mean, that's. Well, well, you know, and the team, yeah, you know, we talked about the Clippers earlier. What if the Clippers say, Paul, we'll, we'll move anybody but Kawhi Leonard for him? Yeah. You that know, be- now because Ka- Kawhi really doesn't need the ball as much, but you put Harden and Kawhi Leonard, you got a better chance of winning than Kawhi and Paul George. Yeah. I agree. That'll be fun to watch this summer. See if Daryl gets creative and blows that whole uh, whole thing up. Uh, Billy, always appreciate it, man. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll catch up with Thanks. you another time. All right, thank you. And if you got time, tune in tomorrow. WIP ninety four WIP. <laughs> I forgot. You're yes, you're you're a radio guy now. The reinvention continues. Six. I, I get up at 3.30 in the morning on Thursday morning to, to go down. So. <laughs> Love it. Well, good luck, man. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. Coming up next, the Hall of Fame boxing promoter and almost Timberwolves owner, Bob Arum. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. 
Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so I have covered... Bob Arum for close to two decades now in my capacity as a boxing writer. I didn't think I'd ever be talking to him as a basketball writer, but it was just a few weeks ago when The Athletic wrote a story on the history of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And part of that history included a time when Bob Arum, the Hall of Fame boxing promoter, tried to buy the team. And so I wanted to hear more about this story. So I am joined by Bob Arum here on the Crossover NBA podcast. Bob, how are you, man? Good, really good. Bob, I have to say, before I ask you specifically about your your experience here, the idea of you as an NBA owner is just hilarious to me. Like you, you would have been Mark Cuban well before Mark Cuban. Like you owning a team would have been, it would have been unique. It would have been, Bigger than Jerry Jones, bigger than Mark Cuban, you as an NBA owner would have been would have been funny. I, I, I that's that's what was my first reaction to it. Yeah, well, you know, this was a, a a really crazy adventure. It's a wild story. Uh, I, I had originally in top when we formed Top Rank had a partner, Fred Hoffines, who later became the mayor of Houston. And uh, Fred had served his couple of terms as Houston mayor and called me. And he said these people had come to him and they were going to buy the Timberwolves. And they wanted me as part of the group because I was the sports guy. And what year was this? Ron, what year was this? It was in the 90s. Okay. 94, something like that. And uh, the deal was that they presented to me was that we would buy the Timberwolves, uh, move it to move the team uh, to New Orleans. And the governor of Louisiana, Governor Edwards, had promised not only would we have an indoor arena in New Orleans, which we would run for all events. But he would, as part of the deal, give us uh, a lease on the Superdome in 
New Orleans, a really good deal. So on that basis, we entered into a contract to buy the Timberwolves. Uh, and then it was questioned, would the league allow it and so forth? And I remember meeting with David Stern, who was uh, the commissioner, and he just met with Fred Offines and myself. And he said, Bob, this spells wrong. I mean, what are you getting involved with these people? And something doesn't, isn't right about it. Uh, and I know we had a meeting set up with the owners committee, which I sort of vaguely remember attending. And we were even filed suit uh, to get this deal through. And then, of course, we had uh, uh, the Governor Edwards, George Foreman, had won the heavyweight championship. And Edwards asked me to bring Foreman to Baton Rouge, the capital, where, I mean, wild kind of thing. We had a, a I remember having a lunch and Foreman and my wife Lovey sat at the table with the governor and only certain foods could be had by us because the rest of the people had other food and as people comes in, came in, certain people could sit in the main room, other people went to the kitchen, it was bizarre. And then his wife, Edwards' wife came down and she was like 40 years his junior and she had a slinky gown. I mean, it was absolutely wild. And I remember uh, uh, we went then into his office, Fred, myself, the governor, and a couple other guys. And he said, Bob, I have, uh, a presentation to make to you, and this was at the end of the year yeah, as a Hanukkah present, he meant Hanukkah present for you, knowing that I was Jewish, and he read this whole proclamation that we would run the Superdome, etc. You know, it was beyond bizarre. And then he dropped a week or two later the hammer. And the hammer was that he had a couple of guys that were with him, like big men, that had to be included in the deal. And I ran for the hills. And there was a federal investigation. That was one of the charges against him. Uh, he was indicted. People in that group were indicted. Not me and Fred, because we ran for the hills. And that's the story of how I almost became co-owner of an NBA team. So a couple things there. was If this had gone through, was it your desire to be kind of the front man owner? Did you want to be the, the face of the franchise? I was supposed to be the front man owner. Uh, maybe not financially, but the front man of the face of the ownership. Yeah, I was ready to, you know, I was ready to fire the coach and uh, bring in some players and all of that sort of stuff. Do you, what? What is going into that? What did you know about the NBA? Had you? I mean, you're in New York. I, mean, I know about the NBA. I, 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 I prior to that point, up to the 
late 80s. I lived in New York. Right. And I was a, a Nick season ticket holder. So I knew everything about the interview. No, I really did. And that, that was a funny story because Mike Burke was running the Knicks and he realized that all of the good boxes on the floor seats were given to the press guys so that they bring their families and so forth and sensing that a tremendous amount of revenue was lost. Burke had leaked it so it became a scandal and now the press backed up and now we had all these he had all these great seats in the garden and he sold me a box on the floor for, with six seats and these I mean this were not today's Knicks these were the great Knicks team you know it had uh, Clyde Fraser and uh, Willis Reed and uh, Bradley and the Bush I mean they were Great entertainment. David Stern, who passed away earlier this year, was known as a tough negotiator. Um, in fact, he's, he, I thought he was, you know, when I look back at people I've covered in my career, you and him seem a lot alike in, in some ways in, in that respect. I mean, how, how much of a relationship did you develop with Stern during this? Really nice. I mean, Stern was, was trying to convince me to walk away from this thing. <laughs> because how dicey it was. Mm. And I remember uh, one of the guys who was a really nice guy who chaired the meeting of the owners, ownership committee that we went before, uh, Colangelo. Jerry Colangelo, yeah. Yeah, I knew him pretty well because I there was a fighter from the Phoenix area, a little uh, flyweight, uh, uh, Michael Carbohol, and we had done a number of events uh, in uh, the arena in Phoenix. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, America West Arena then. Yep. And uh, so I had uh, met and known Colangelo and his son. And uh, they also tried to convince me to walk away. <laughs> But it didn't take more than a week before they proved to be correct in their philosophy. When when Stern asked you to walk away, were you just not aware of the people that wanted to be involved with this? I mean, what was your re- initial reaction when Stern said walk away? I would say, well, why? I mean, there was no reason. I mean, this was a real sweetheart deal. I was going to get these to Superdome <laughs> plus an arena. I mean, it wasn't costing me a nickel. It was great. Hey, or when I walk away and, and then like a week or so later, uh, <laughs> he dropped the hammer. He wanted his guys to get a piece of the whole action. And these were, you said they were bad guys, but like in what way were they bad guys? Well, they were hustlers. They were hard. Fred got taken in by them. They were just con men, hustlers, you know, with you know, with the swashbuckling Texas accent. There was one guy involved in the group who was a big uh, personal injury lawyer. I forget his name. I mean, it, it was it was a sort of fun group. I remember hosting all of them in Elio's restaurant in New York. 
you know, we had a good time. We was a lot of laughs. Mm -hmm. But thank God, uh, when when Edwards uh, raised the issue of bringing in his bag man as getting a piece of the action, uh, I was smart enough to walk away. When you say piece of the action, are you talking like an ownership interest, like a, yeah. some kind of okay? His ownership interest. <laughs> The uh, Edwards did you was wild. Was yeah. what? He was a wild man. It's got everybody in Louisiana loved him. That's why, you know, nothing's changed. That's why the people down there are for Trump. Yeah, because yeah. they're crazy. <laughs> the um, did you encounter Adam Silver at all during these talks? Did you have any uh, relationship with him at all? Did you have any interactions with him? No, not then. I I, I met Adam Silver later. Because Todd, uh, who's Todd DeBuff, who's the president of Top mm -hmm. Rank, is very friendly with Adam Silver. And he, had, he had introduced me to Adam uh, when Adam was still uh, an assistant to, uh, uh, to David Stern. Did you, ever I, discuss, did you ever discuss this, you know, this yeah, story with yeah. him? It was a joke. It was like the funniest thing ever. I mean, who, I mean, thank God nobody got hurt. But I mean, at least I didn't, and or Fred. But uh, uh, I mean, it was. I mean, it couldn't be more bizarre. Mm. I mean, when something is too good to be true, it's too good to be true. How would you, if you look back now, how would you have acted as an NBA? Would you have been the same NBA owner that you are, a boxing promoter, or would you have been able to kind of? you know, show some of the restraint you have to show at times as an NBA owner? I didn't know. I, mean, I would have been myself, you know. <laughs> I mean, I would, I, I mean, the, the officials had to watch out. They started calling fouls against my team. You know, my guys couldn't foul. <laughs> they were clean players. I, I, know, wore, I, mean, I, I don't I, know. I don't know. But I, again, uh, I would have really enjoyed myself, mm. you know. Um, this is this. It would be like a big fan becoming involved in the ownership of a team. Did you Not ever think? Did you ever think that? And obviously, it's tough to think this back then. But I mean, I don't know what the asking price was for the team then. But I mean, they've grown to like the worst team is now worth like two billion dollars on the open market. Could you ever have foreseen that? No, I don't think, I think the prices, I, I mean, I can look up the contract, but I think the price was basically to take over their debts, mm -hmm. you know, and pay a, a, a nominal amount, maybe, I'm, I don't know for sure, but probably not more than 30 or $40 million in actual cash, other than the assumption of debt. Because you remember, around this time, uh, Donald Stern bought that team. Sterling, uh, yeah. Uh, Sterling, Sterling, yeah. Bought the team uh, from uh, San Diego. Uh, and I don't think he put up any cash. He just assumed the debts. Did you ever, in the years after that, look at buying or being part of a group that bought an NBA team again? No, I thought... I escaped with my life <laughs> at that point. I wasn't ready to go back into the 
to the mix. <laughs> I tell you something, Bob. It says something to me that that you say that when I mean you've had a lot of crazy experiences in your career. That that was one that you're glad that you escaped from. Oh boy, you better believe by the skin of my teeth, because luckily I had the sense to know that when something was proposed to me that was totally criminal, hmm. uh, that um, uh, I wouldn't uh, uh, accept it. Wow, it's it's a wild story. Uh, it's, it is too bad that you didn't get into NBA ownership. I would have loved to have heard about contract negotiations that, uh, that came up, you know, between you and, and players. You'd make them very public, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, Bob, I appreciate it. It's a great story. I just wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth, and uh, that was a lot of fun to hear about. Having read it at first, it was, I'm, I'm glad you got to tell me the full breadth of it. Well, maybe, maybe if, if the deal had gone down and I would be an NBA owner, I wouldn't have the pleasure of promoting, I think, one of the great fights of the year. Uh, Loma, Lomachenko and Lopez. That's going to be October 17th on ESPN. And I can talk about what a great fight that is because I got no tickets to sell because <laughs> the fight will be done in a bubble. And I have no pay-per-view to sell because thanks to ESPN, it's going to be shown for free on the ESPN network. Yeah, people listening to this probably aren't as familiar with you know, how boxing's been impacted during the pandemic. They've seen basketball. I mean, the NBA took their act. And let me ask you that first. They're, the NBA took their act to Florida. It seems like it's been as successful as you can be. What have you thought about what the NBA's done, and how do you feel about what boxing is doing? Well, we were the first. Mm -hmm. we, we, were, we, we had worked for two months on the bubble once the pandemic came uh, with the testing and so forth. And the NBA has done it correctly with a bubble because once you have a bubble, a real bubble, and then the people inside uh, are not at risk uh, because they're in contact only with people who are not contagious. So the NBA has done it right. Uh, the games, of course, are not as good uh, because there are no spectators, just the way boxing matches, uh, if they don't have spectators, like in the bubble, are not as good because there's something about fan cheering and yelling that creates the excitement, both for the viewers and also for the players, for the participants. So, I mean, the NBA games, I mean, at least it's, great basketball and, and, you know, interesting games, but it's certainly not nearly as interesting as having it played before full arenas. I mean, clear. I mean, I think probably uh, like this last Clipper uh, uh, game against the Nuggets, I mean, that series, I think it would have been different if it had been played uh, in both arenas with spectators. But all credit to the Nuggets. I mean, when they were down 3-1, the, the series was over. Mm -hmm. But look, they, I mean, 
they, I mean, I think that they're going to go into the, they play the Lakers, you know, and maybe try to get it to three, one for the Lakers. So <laughs> Are you still a, as strong a Knicks fan as you used to be? You crazy. They're unwatchable. <laughs> They're absolutely unwatchable. I mean, I, I mean, I know. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I, even though I've been out of New York for a long time, uh, since the late 80s, uh, you know, New York, I'm still a New Yorker at heart. So I root for the Yankees. I root for the Giants. So that may be ending because now I got a team in Las Vegas, the Raiders. <laughs> and Gruden says that he wants to make me into a Raider fan, forget the, the Giants. And, I mean, the way they're playing, I may do that. Uh, but uh, no, I, I lost interest in the Knicks a long time ago. Do you think, would you, if you ever had an opportunity to buy the Knicks, would you jump on that? I mean, Jim Dolan would be my partner. No, <laughs> I think you'd have to supplant him, replace him. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think that, my, that any aspirations of mine uh, to buy a team, uh, any team, I, I think that's long gone. You know, at yeah. my age, I'm just happy to coast along as a boxing promoter. <laughs> Well, keep up the good work, Bob. October 17th, Vasily Lomachenko, Teofimo Lopez. That's going to be in Las Vegas, um, and it's to be live on ESPN. I can tell you it is one of, if not the best fights uh, remaining in the year. Undisputed lightweight championship. Tremendous fight between an established star, Lomachenko, one of the best young stars in Lopez. Uh, looking forward to seeing you there, Bob, and looking forward to uh, hearing more about some of these other stories someday as well. Okay. Yeah, you missed this one, right? I did. I missed this one. Unbelievable. Thanks, Bob. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
It's been a wild ride. And now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.